Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. Thank you for being here today. I would say hello to Mecca, but you're here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, gra- and glad for you to be here. Uh, Hello to you who are online and and listening in on uh, 97.3 our FM station. Uh, We're grateful, you know, that we can come into the Lord's house today, right? Anybody glad to be here today? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Got a got an old friend or two that have come back. uh, They're here today. Grateful. Thank thank you for being here. Uh, You know, friends, uh, this is a this is a great day to be a Christian. You know, because it always is. But I, I have found that it is, it is increasingly difficult to be a pastor today. Amen, God. You know, now I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, not asking for a pity party or anything like that. I'm just making a statement of fact. It's, it's, it's increasingly difficult to be a pastor today. And, and the reason is because people don't want to be pastored in the manner and way that God enlightens the person he has put with them or the group he's put with them. They want to be pastored the way they want to be pastored. Because we're a people that has an idea about what we want our Christianity to be. And if it's not that, we'll go find the church that is. Have you noticed that? We are a self-centered society. I don't think anybody here is going to dispute that. And and it makes sense that the church has become rather self-centered as well. Self-centered, self-serving, self-righteous. Because our Christianity, the what we are, whatever we want to believe, must be the right one, you know. And, and I was thinking the other day, maybe we should kind of go back to the scripture. <laughs> that would tell us what Christianity is, wouldn't it? How many of you in the facility today, how many of you online, how many of you have wondered these days what real Christianity is? Have you, have, you, have you wondered at all? Have you looked at all the different flavors that are out there and wondered, wonder which one's it? You know, I, I think we sort of do that. I'm, I'm one of those people. I'm not so bad at the buffet, but at the ice cream truck I am. You know, at the buffet, I pretty much know what I want. Uh, and I know my son Frank is going to take everything on it anyway. <laughs> right? He, he uh, I could tell you stories about the way that, that kid can eat. But, but the fact of the matter is, uh, uh, at the ice cream truck, whenever, whenever you, when you hear the music and the grandkids are in the yard, they hear it and they know it's coming. And brother, you better have a couple dollars on you. But you know, when I'm out working the yard, I don't have my wallet with me. So I got to run in and they're like, Papa, hurry! Because they don't want that thing to pass the house, you know. And I tell, I know that if they run out there, that truck's going to stop. How long it's going to stay, I don't know, but it's going to stop. You know, I imagine a lot of kids run up the truck and they have any money, you know. Uh, but wh- when I take them there, it, it, you know, when the truck comes and we go out there, uh, and I, I, spring's coming, you can tell, right? And I'm, uh, anybody grateful for that, first of all? Yeah. So when the ice cream, cream truck comes, you know, uh, they only have, I think it would be smarter if they only had three or four things on it. You know, because when you have a list like this, the kids never make up their minds on what they want, right? Because right? they want it all. And here's what the parent's doing. Oh, look at the prices first. <laughs> you can have this. You tell them what they can have, right? What they can choose from. Who's done that, parents? Okay. Yeah, but they, they want all of them, you know, and they, and they want to try them all. And some kids get the same thing every time. But even though you know they're going to get that same one every time, they will stand there and look up and down that list over and over again. They will. Because they don't know what they want. And then they finally pick one. And what, what do they pick? The one they think they'll like. Whatever is going to satisfy their palate that day. It might be okay with ice cream, but it's not when it comes to the Lord's church. I don't think there's an awful lot of that. And we better get it together because we're, gonna, we're in this together 
And it doesn't matter whose name is on the front door. It doesn't matter what denomination it is. If, if we believe in the Trinity, Christ crucified, Christ coming again, if we believe in the power of the Spirit within us, if we believe, friends, that we're going to be resurrected again with him, if we believe that, then we're Christians. Okay? We have some weird ways of getting to it sometimes. But we know. And it, it isn't just the Wesleyan Church. It's, it's all of us together. We're all Christians. Okay, and, and we're all in this battle together. The church is at war. I'm telling you. Now, this is something you don't want to hear because you don't want to do it. And I remember being on uh, board ship when I was a Marine detachment commander uh, for the security of the USS Iowa. You don't know what that is. That is a large battleship. Uh, she's still available to us. She's been decommissioned and she's been made into a museum, but she and Wisconsin are both available to us should they be needed to be recalled again. And Marines like them because they can throw a 16-inch shell, you know, 200 miles. <laughs> and we like them. But I remember being on board that ship. And I'll never forget some of the drills and things we used to do to keep the ship safe in case we were attacked. Uh, and my job was to keep us safe from uh, somebody boarding the vessel and trying to do damage or take it over. Uh, that probably wouldn't happen on a ship like that, uh, but that's what Marines do on ships. They, they handle the security because they know the sailors aren't trained to do that. Marines are. And so the interesting thing about that, uh, I had one young Marine who would complain constantly. He said, you trained the snot out of us, and you know we are, we are, this is not going to happen. We're in Long Beach Bay. And I said, yep. And that might be where it'll happen too. But more than that, I wanted to be ready uh, in case somebody above me, you know, <laughs> wanted to know if I was ready. I could prove it. But I remember one time this young Marine said, Captain, we are not at war. I said, yes, we are. Every time you step on board this ship, every time you put on that uniform, you are at war. Because somebody in the world doesn't like you and what you stand for. Mm -hmm. They are jealous or they just have hatred towards you. Mm -hmm. yeah. If the church isn't at war, then we're not putting on the Christian uniform. Because I'm telling you, the world does not like us. Because Satan doesn't. Why would he? He hates everything that God stands for. Yes or no? And if you stand with God, who are you standing against? The problem with it is, in the church today, we're not sure where we're standing. We say we're standing for God, but we don't act like it. We don't put on that armor that God says you ought to put on every single day. Why would God tell you to put on the armor of God if you're not at war? You're at war. And so the church is at war. If the Bible says we are the church militant, there's a hymn that says the church is militant. There's a reason for it because we are going to have to fight the battles that God places before us and allows us. And he will always be there with us. Amen? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. I only have two points today. Can you believe it? Now they're lengthy. <laughs> but there's only two. I have found that you can only process about two at a time. Because here's what happens. Do you know when we run a live Bible story cafe, which is just, well, we'll finish today, you know, by noon. And then when we, and, and we start at 6 o'clock, if I ask you who come today, what did we talk about in the sermon? You cannot tell me. Some can. Most of them are like, I've eaten since then. <laughs> Slept since then. You understand what I'm saying? That's why, these, that's why these small groups are so desperately important. Because it helps you to discuss and retain certain points that God wants you to know. Right? It is. And I'm, everybody that's in them will tell you that they've been very helpful. And nobody in here is too dumb to get it. Nobody in here is, is, is not savvy enough to understand it. Because if you seek it, what will you do? That's right. This side's convinced, this side not so much. If you seek the Lord, will you find him? Well, what is the Lord? His word. Okay? Everybody in here can get it. So Peter has something to say to us. Now, he talks about young men here, but he's, that's just the, 
way that it, it was written at that time. This is everybody. This is young people in general. And I'm telling you, if you're under 40, you're a young person. Huh? If you're under 40, you're a young person. I didn't used to think that, but I certainly do today. I certainly do. And, and, and I, knew, I knew I was getting older. I knew it the last year that I played softball. My son-in-law will tell you about this. He remembers it very well. Okay? When I drilled, what, what, two years ago maybe, I drilled a shot into the gap up here at the United Methodist Church. You remember this, Christopher? Drilled one into the gap. That's always two bags for me, even if it's only one, because I always had speed. And I turned the corner, got to third base, and I looked, or second base, I thought, I think I can make it to three. Never did. <laughs> turned the corner, legs start feeling like jello. I thought, I'm in trouble. I could feel, I, I knew something. My body was not, I mean, it, it brought new meaning, okay, to the, but the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I'm telling you right now. Amen. And my flesh, it, well, not just my flesh, it was my bones. It was my, everything in me was failing. And I got about halfway down there, and I knew I was kind of like in slow motion. I could feel it. The steps were smaller, right? And when I dove into the bag, I realized that I was about, what, four feet away from it? You remember that? And he, do you, do you remember this? You, you destroyed me over that. You remember, don't you, Shelly? And, 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 and the guy started laughing at third base. He went, attack me. He had to come and get me. And I was certain I was not going to get, I was on my knees, but I was certain I wasn't going to get back to the dugout. I was certain of that. And like I told you last week, I remember, you know, playing king of the mat with the wrestling team up at, at North High School. Again, it was one of those things where the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. Okay? And I had to, had to wrestle somebody. Uh, John and uh, uh, John DeLille and, and uh, Mark uh, uh, Frizz, our, our head coach, had taken the varsity or the JV to Evansville. And so Mark left me in charge of the varsity that Saturday. And so I, I coached him. We played king of the match, you know. And of course, the coach has to, you've got to give him a sentence. So I said, I'll, I'll wrestle whoever's left. But see, I knew, I knew I had to beat him quick and cheat a little bit to win. I knew, okay, and, and the kid I wrestled liked to kill me, I'm, I'm telling you, I did win, but I cheated big time, okay, and, uh, and of course, they said it wasn't over, but I, when I said it was over, it's over, and I, I remember going in there, and, and, I, and I, I was acting all cool, and when I got inside, and I sat down in that chair, I was literally sucking wind, I was, I was done, I'll never forget when they came in, you know, to get something, and turn around and say, hey, coach is having a heart attack. And you know what? I was probably real close. I, I, all I'm saying to you is we run out of gas in a hurry. These things happen to us, you know. That's right. But here's the thing. You can't just pick and choose when you're going to fight. The battle is always there. It is like, like Gene Hackman said uh, in, in uh, uh, Crimson Tide. You just don't fight battles when it's hunky-dory. You fight when the enemy attacks. Fight or be defeated. Or be taken over. And friends, I think there's some people that the devil has defeated. I think that there are people that are given in. I think that there are people in the church that are tired of fighting. But you can't quit. You can't stop. It's going to continue. Do you know where your strength comes from? Do you have the armor on? And here's the question. Do you know when Satan attacks and how he does it. Mm -hmm. And do you know how to fight back? Because you should. So this is what Peter has to say to us. Scroll down in uh, chapter 5 uh, to verse 5. Young men in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Boy, we lost them right there. You know why? Because Satan is teaching us you don't have to submit to anybody. That's what he's teaching our society. Ask any school teacher. Ask, ask, right? Ask a pastor. I'm telling you. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's a lot of proud people in the church. Again, if you think that Peter is talking to anybody outside the church in this passage, you are incorrect. He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. Could it be? Are there actually young believers that refuse to be submissive to those who are older than them? 
Is it possible that we refuse to be humble before the Lord? Well, he's writing to us. Humble yourselves, therefore, this is the second time, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. It's not just that we're not humble toward one another. We're not humble toward God. We're not, we're turning, we're turning, you know, God's trying to listen. We're, we're, we're doing it. Talk to the hand. You know, don't tell me you haven't done it because I've done it. When God's speaking, sometimes, you know, like kind of like people. You know, sometimes when you get sick and tired of somebody in your ear all the time, you tell them, knock it off. Or you walk away. You can't do it. But what happens when it's God in your ear? Have we shut God down? Have we stopped listening? Have we said, God, I want to hear, I want to hear sweet nothings. I want, I want you, I want you to give me good things. What, what if God's got some more harsher things to say to you? Are you going, are you going to accept only the good things God offers and nothing else? Well, I think we have. I think we have. Okay. Now look at this. He says, "Cast all of your anxiety on Him." Why? Because He cares for you. You know, we cast our anxieties on other people first. We, we would rather get the, uh, oh, I'm so sorry, the attaboys from people. We would rather get the empathy from other people before God. Now, tell me we don't. Okay? Be self-controlled, he says. <laughs> That's an oxymoron today. We don't know what self-control is. Be self-controlled and alert. <laughs> There's the key. Be alert. How can you be alert if you're not self-controlled? You know, that's like, you know, let me tell you something. Let, let me go out as a military commander, and I've done it. Let me catch a sentry sleeping on post. It's bad. In wartime, you can be executed for that. It's not, not happened. I don't, Bob, it's not happened in a long time, has it? But it, it? but it could be done. It could be done. You, you understand what I'm saying? I remember <laughs> in boot camp, we had to, Stand posts, and we all knew that on, you know, San, in San Diego at the Marine Recruit Depot, probably we weren't going to have, you know, any enemies coming to our post. And you were guarding stuff that nobody would want anyway. But they're teaching you how to do that. But fall asleep out there and see what happens. It would be, it would be bad. You 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 really don't want. If an officer caught you doing that, you were going to see your senior drill instructor. Uh, the next morning, and you certainly wouldn't want that, would you, Marines? You wouldn't. Uh, well, aren't well. <laughs> All I'm saying is, it's a bad thing. But somehow, in this thing of life, we think we can snooze because somehow uh, this doesn't mean anything to us. Do you know you are God's sentries? You are on patrol. You are on watch. You are to be alert. Why? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And if you're sleeping, it's you. It's you. Notice he doesn't say God's enemy. He says your enemy. How can the devil be your enemy? Well, to some people in the church, he isn't. But if you stand with God, he's your enemy. Have you ever noticed that when you're doing things right, you're plugged into the Lord and you're spiritually sound and, and joy is coming to you and you're reading all these wonderful things, scripture and other things, stuff like that, and you're feeling like, wow, all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. Right? It's like the devil's right there. Right? Anybody felt that way? We almost want to say, oh, wait a minute. I, I'd rather maybe, maybe I, I don't want to. I don't want to be so, so strong spiritually because then maybe he'll leave me alone. Maybe he'll go mess with Bishop and Bob or something. Right? And I've said a thousand times, you know, I look at when, when you know, the devil went uh, horsing around and he, he didn't, didn't like Job. So he went to the Lord and he said, hey, he said, uh, you know, well, you're these people. And God said, well, have you considered my servant Job? And I'm thinking, oh, please don't say, have you considered my servant man? Because I know what's going to happen. He's he going to come knocking. Right? But I'd like to know that if that happens... And the devil comes that I'm ready for him. And that I will do God proud. That I will be what God needs me to be. Because I think that maybe that's happened a time or two. And I've had the last two weeks. And I think it did. I don't know how it happened. But it happened. Okay. So here's the thing. I'm hoping for a better week. Anybody? But I'm not foolish enough to think that he's going to let up. 
Because just when things, it's, it's almost like, you know, you, the enemy sometimes, oh, whatever, whatever your enemy is, will attack. And then when you resist, you'll throw them back and they'll go regroup and come back again. If they're worth anything, they will. Do you think Satan doesn't come back? The Bible says that when you resist, he'll, the demon will go away and bring seven more. Once again. How, how many of you knew that today? Who didn't know it? Better be in the word of God, friends. Okay? Uh, I, I think he's bringing uh, three times, four times that. To me sometimes. I think, I think he brought a whole legion. I don't even know how big a legion is based on the number that there might be out there. All I know is he's around. I know it. It says resist him. Right? Standing firm in the faith. That's how you do it. You can't give lip service to Satan. He'll laugh at you. He's going to laugh at you. I've done that. It doesn't work. I mean, the Bible's full of that, too. When some of those soothsayers confronted going the same kind of sufferings. You're not alone here. It feels like it sometimes, though, doesn't it? It feels like you're, you're straight up alone, but you're not. And he says this, and the God of all grace, because only, grace only comes from God, by the way. Uh, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while. And for me, it seems like it's a long while. But, uh, but I, I know what Peter's trying to say. After you've suffered, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I need to be strong, firm, and steadfast today. How about you? It says God will do that in you. God will make you. Even when you feel like you're weak, God will help you be strong. So stop doing it in your own strength because you're not going to work. It's not, you're not going to win. You're not going to resist. You can't. You can't. So here's what we do, though. Well, I'm going to resist until I can anymore. Then I'll call upon God. Bad idea. Bad idea. Come on. I'm the only one that's ever done that. Huh? Right? It's like, okay, God, I, I, I got this one, God. I got this one. Don't ever say that. Because you don't got nothing. Right? Now, you, you know I use better, better English than that. But you don't got nothing. Okay? You don't got, you, you don't. Okay? So, understand the point here. To him, the power forever and ever. Yes, it is. God's power is eternal. Yours is not. God's power is eternal. Yours is not. Say it with me. God's power is eternal. Mine is not. Come on. Friends, do you believe this, yes or no? I'm getting warm. I want to take my shirt off. I can't do it. Right? Kind of fired up today. Because I know, right? But here's what we can do. We can roll up our sleeves and say, okay, I'm in. Let's go. Let's get busy. Remember our senior hall used to say that? Let's get busy. God wants you to get busy. Listen to this, friends. Peter is very clear in this passage that Satan is what? Roaming. He's running around. He's prowling around. He's stealthy. He's sneaky. Right? And he's up to no good. Is he? Come on, wake up, kids. Come on. He's up to no good. How many of you know in here that, that Satan is up to no good? That's all? Okay, if you know Satan's up to no good, stand up. Now I got you. Now I got you. Okay, some of you guys, you, uh, you got a baby. You know he's up to no good, don't you? I, I didn't say sit down. I didn't say sit down. Shake it out. Shake it all out. Get it, whatever's in the cobwebs, get it out. Okay? Get it out, because you need to hear this. Everybody in here can understand this. You understand? Everybody in here got something between them ears in there. They got, there's something in there. 
Now, just a few minutes ago, you didn't got nothing. But right now, you're going to get something. Okay? You're going to get something because God's got something for you. Maybe you should just keep standing up. You're listening better. I mean, I'd do it the whole sermon. All right, go ahead. Sit down. Sit down. Okay. Some of like, is he going to let us sit down or not? <laughs> How many of you would have sat down even if I didn't say so? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's kind of true. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You, you can see what Peter's talking about, can't you? Okay. See, he's roaming. He's prowling. He's looking for what? For people to destroy. And notice what Peter says, that we have to resist by standing what? In the faith. Well, you're standing without faith, my friends. That's why you're defeated. You know? Now, you and I both know that there are no such thing as vampires. And, when I, and I've, had, I've had people bring their kids here and tell me they believe in a vampire. And they tell me all the reasons why they do. And I, you, you, it's, it's hilarious. This one girl was certain she, she was a vampire. Because she was hooked on Twilight, you know. And she was 17 years old. And she said, she said I'm a vampire. I said, how do you know? Because I, I just know. And I said, okay. Come outside. So we went outside, and I, and I, and I thought, man, that's not high enough. So I looked at the church building. I said, jump up on her. Oh, I can't do that. Then you ain't a vampire. <laughs> okay? But here's the thing. Here, there, there's this lore about vampires we have to understand. Have you ever watched a vampire? Who's, a, who's watched a vampire movie before? Come on, be honest. Come on, don't look around. I'm just saying, okay, now here's the deal, all right? So when people try to resist a vampire, they hold the crucifix up. But in Interview with the Vampire, he says, I'm actually quite fond of them. You see, if you, if you don't believe in it, it doesn't mean anything. You have to believe in the power. That means you've got to stand in the faith. And if you don't have faith, it's worthless. You understand that? It's worthless. And the devil knows if you stand in faith or not. He knows if you're going to stand and resist him in faith or not. He knows if you're those soothsayers that are calling out, you know, throwing names, lip service, or if you're a person that really stands. He knows. You think he doesn't know? Okay. So having said that, look at this. Notice what Peter says. We have to resist by staying in the faith, and it proves that Peter's talking to these believers here because an unbeliever couldn't do that. An unbeliever wouldn't stand in any faith whatsoever. They don't have it. Okay? Because we're the only ones that have faith. Secondly, the entire church, my friends, is at war with Satan. And he got some help, too. He got some demons out there. How many of you know that? Okay. Peter says so by telling us that our brothers and sisters who are uh, part of the family of believers are also going through the same attacks, the same sufferings that come from those attacks. Right? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you. Great. Might need a little more than that. Because when you, praying doesn't just get rid of it. Because Satan knows if he holds out, the resolve of your prayers will show. How many of you have prayed for a little bit, don't see nothing's happening, so you stop? Who's done that before? Right? Listen, friends, you have to be, you have to be, in, in what I call concerted prayer. You have to be in a prayer where it's almost like you don't know when you're going to leave it. You, do, you start and you don't know. It's going to be God's timing. You don't know. Don't plan for things when you go into that type of prayer because you don't know when it's going to end. I've done it before and couldn't believe that two hours had gone by before. Mm-hmm. Happened right here in this building. Oh, yeah. And you know what God did for me? Even when I was finished, not one phone call on my cell phone or one person looking for me because I think God knew and protected me from that. See, this is, I know what happens in that. Okay, God, God wants you to spend time praying like that. All right, amen. Church. The church is the only entity that makes up this family of believers. Amen. And since every Christian is part of the church and we're under attack as individuals together, this means that the church is at war and our adversary is Satan himself. It is. It is. Do you understand that? Anybody learn something today? Mm. Can't stop there though. Just because you learned one thing, you can't say, okay, we got our, our, our little tidbit for the day. We're done. Be nice, but it doesn't work that way. Why is Satan our adversary? Because Satan hates God. How many of you didn't know Satan hated God? He hates God. And he hates God's creation. Did you know that? Because he can't command it, although sometimes he still does. Some of it, right? But he's not going in the end, is he? Okay. 
and he hates what God loves. You know what God loves? His believers. Do you think it's possible that Satan might, hate, might kind of hate you? Now he's going to come as an angel of light telling you how much he loves you and how good he is and how good you can be and how much he can help you, right? And he's going to try to whisper in your ear like he did with Eve and Adam and say, well, you know, did God really say that? You, you can probably do this. It's not so bad. You can think this way. It's not so bad. He's subtle. He's sneaky. And Satan hates believers more than he hates non-believers. Because he doesn't have to fool with them as much. Although he still hates them. Because they're God's creation. And since Satan is the enemy of God, he's also the enemy of those who belong to God. Ergo, the church. Amen? You are, you are getting this, aren't you? So, you see, friends, we ought to be prepared and aware of how Satan attacks us and what to do in defense. Why? Because Peter says that God commands us to stand against him. And let's face it, there are days you don't want to stand against nothing, anything, anybody, any, right? You just don't. And I had those days last couple of weeks. Just wanted to be done. You know what God said to me? I'm with you. You can do it. I will never allow you to be overcome if you're in me. It will never happen. You may think it. You may feel like it's, but not in me. Never have. You know, he's never gone back on our promise, not even that one. So let's take a look at this. What weapons does Satan use? Are you right? What? You, you, you got to know what they are. In 2 Corinthians uh, 2.11, Paul says that everything he does is done in the presence of Christ. Paul does. Why? Because that way Satan can't take advantage of him or outwit him. He does it in God's presence. Because if you do it in God's presence, Satan can't lie and you don't know about it. How about that? You think when Jesus was tempted that the Holy Spirit wasn't present? You think he didn't rely upon that for his answers? Come on. And Satan said, well, the Bible says this. And Jesus said, yeah. But you're taking that out of context, and what it really means is this. Okay? Because he knew, didn't he? Now, Paul further says that none of us should be unaware of the devil's schemes. Therefore, we have to be proactive then in our defense. Okay? We have to be proactive in our defense, and we have to recognize the weapons that he uses. And the first weapon he uses is our tongues, especially when they're kind of loose, and they are. They're a lot looser, that's not a word, but they're a lot looser than they ought to be. And we're so willing to use them, you know. That's the first, that's the first defense we go to. Did you know that? We go to our tongues faster than anything else. Come on. You know you do. You know it. Okay? That's right. Satan's greatest weapon is ourselves, and particularly our mouths. In World War II, there was a motto said, loose lips sink ships. Now, of course, you and I know that that referred to the secrets of war, that we were supposed to keep our mouths shut because, you know, Japan and Germany, especially Germany, had agents in the United States. Sure they did. Trying to find out the secrets of things that, so they could take it back to Berlin. And that would be a bad thing. Now, isn't this true of the war that we're fighting today? Many things just ought not to be said. Huh? How many of you said something yesterday that you shouldn't have said? <laughs> right? Okay, put your hands back up again. Look around, see who didn't. Now ask them what they did the day before. Okay, you got away with one yesterday. What about the day before? See, it doesn't, it doesn't take long. And you, you know it, don't you? You know it. Sometimes you know immediately. You shouldn't have said that. It might be true and it might be right, but it doesn't necessarily need to be said. Now, does it? Is it going to kill you not to say it? You think it will. You just got to get it out. You just got to give them a piece of your mind. And like I said, some of us don't have any mind to give. <laughs> right? But I'm not trying to be funny here because it's true. There are certain things we ought not say. We don't, they don't belong there. No good will come of it. God's kingdom will not be advanced even a little bit by it. Will it? Yeah. 
You see, James 3.6 identifies the problem, New Living Translation, and among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it, it is set on fire by hell itself. That means Satan, doesn't it? Isn't that who it is? Isn't that, isn't that who James is talking about? Now, come on. Do you know how often we speak in our own defense, my friends? Way too many stinking times. You don't need to defend yourself. Not when you belong to God, you don't. Do you hear me? You do not need to defend yourself when you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You probably ought to write that down. That probably ought to be something that we post somewhere. You don't have to defend yourself when you belong to Christ. You don't. But sometimes we still do, don't we? How often do you speak to get your own way or to protect yourself? Come on. You know what's funny to me? Jesus did none of that. Never defended himself. In fact, the Bible says he uttered not a word in his own defense. And if anybody had a right to do it, it was him. You don't. I don't. But he did. And he never did it. Are you grasping this yet? Is this resonating on you? Huh? Come on, kids. Listen to me. Look up here. Look up here. Woo-hoo. Look up here. I know the kids are cute. Look up here. Okay? You got to get this, friends. You, you, you don't, I don't think you can even count how many times a day you defend yourself, make your point, and get your way with your tongue. I'll bet you can't count it. And Jesus did it at no time. Zero. And as I begin to think about that, okay. He's clear in Matthew 7, 1, when he tells us not to judge, do not judge or you too will be judged. Now, the problem here isn't the judging. And, of course, society that doesn't want you to take a look at what they're doing is going to tell you, oh, the Bible says don't judge. That's not exactly what it says. Jesus just said you're not worthy of doing it because you do it with the wrong motive, Amen. with the wrong heart. <laughs> okay? He didn't say don't judge. He said it would be better if you don't because you're not worthy of it. You can be and you should be, but you're not. Because when you judge, you know, basically, it's easier. You know, how are you going to find, you know, the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a plank in yours? Take the plank out. Now maybe we can judge something. Okay? That's the point. That's what Jesus is trying to say. But, of course, we don't read the rest of that, do we? Because we don't want anybody to tell us what we should do and not do. We don't want anybody to tell us we're wrong. We don't want anybody to tell us we should stop doing what we're doing. That's why we want to use that. You see, Jesus knows we will do it in our own human ability. We'll do it for human reasons. And here's the thing, friends. When you do it in humanity like that, it will almost always be self-centered. It will almost always be self-protected. It will almost always be self-serving. Did, did, did you hear that? This is why it's better not to do it at all unless you are 100% plugged in to the Father. Okay? A second weapon. Discouraged workers in the church. Two tactics that Satan uses against workers. First of all, he discourages some from serving in the first place. And let's face it, there's somebody in here that doesn't serve in the kingdom. Now don't start looking around and figure out who it is. It might be you. Oftentimes it is, isn't it? When you're looking around, it's probably you. Because people that aren't serving don't look around. They know. Don't they? Huh? Okay, so he discourages those also who are serving presently. I know that because he's trying to discourage me from serving. Do you know I've quit being a pastor a hundred times in my mind? Not lately, but it used to happen a lot. Hmm? And when you find out where your faith is and who, who you serve, and the deeper you get, that starts to go away. It really does. But see, the devil won't stop harping on that until you prove to him through your faith in God that you ain't quitting this thing. That's right. You're not quitting. Because God fights your battles with and for you. Okay? So you don't, you don't have to worry about it. He ne he's not going to leave you in the fight alone. Never has. So why does Satan do this? Well, isn't it obvious? I mean, we'll talk ourselves out of service for a variety of reasons. Everybody in here has talked themselves out of service in the last year. Maybe in the last month. Maybe in the last week you've done it. 
But there's only one main reason why he does it. Because it will keep God's kingdom from advancing. The fewer people that serve, the less time they give to the kingdom, the less it happens. And Satan knows that. And isn't advancing the kingdom of God what the church is here for in the first place? Now, say it isn't so. You know what else he does? He throws obstacles in your path. The biggest obstacle, anybody in here know what the biggest obstacle is? You. You're the biggest obstacle that you have. Now, think about that for a second. You know, see, I had to put my glasses on so I could see who doesn't agree with me. Right? Because you know what I know? Listen, I'm not arrogant. I just know self. I've seen self so many times, it makes me want to puke. How many times people come into the office or meet with me, and they're complaining, or they're not listening, or whatever? And self is the reason. Because that's all they can see is self. Protecting themselves, get what they want, right? Their timing. Come on. Do you know that's the number one reason why people leave churches? Number one reason, self. That's a fact, friends. Ask any pastor in America, they'll tell you that. Ask any pastor in the world, they'll tell you that. Doesn't matter what language either. Because self is a problem. And here's, here's the bigger problem. Paul says you've got to die to self. Self got to go away. You can never fully serve Jesus if self is there. Can't do it. I know I've tried. It doesn't work. Something's going to suffer. Probably my service to the kingdom. What you think? Okay? And this is so easy, anybody should be able to get it, right? Everybody in here can understand that. But, of course, you know, we like self so much that we'll label it as other things, you know. A number of years ago, uh, some buddies and I and my wife, this is before I met my wife. She'd have tore me up if she'd known I did this. And I'm going to admit it. I think I might have even told her this. I can't walk to I want to walk further, but I guess I can't. I think I told you this. A number of years ago, I had, I had a friend uh, that married this gal, and, and we, all kinda, we were all friends together. Um, and so uh, we, we helped, she, they were going to live in his house, and so before the wedding, we moved everything from her house into his house, and when they came back, you know, from their honeymoon, they were going to, I mean, we were living in Hawaii, mind you, and they went to the mainland for their honeymoon. How, but that's, isn't that backwards? So they did, and so anyway, when they came back, then they would live together, you know, in this house, and be all, you know, wonderful. But what that dum-dum didn't remember or realize is that he allowed us to have a key to his house to finish a few things up so when they got back, it'd be perfect, you know. And perfect is how we made it. I can't even begin to tell you all of the little surprises we left them. Isn't that awful? How many of you think that's awful? How many are going, that's hilarious? Right? Well, let me tell you one of the things we did. Listen, now here, this is not on me. This is on you if you do it. God's going to hold you accountable, not because I admitted it. So we went into the cabinet, remember I told you this, went into the cabinet and very carefully took every single canned good out. And we made a real slow and slight cut all the way down. Took every label off and glued them back on something else. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> we were so proud of ourselves. It's truly the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, it just goes to prove to you, boy, you, I mean, I've had it happen before where I've got a canned good, and, dump it out, and that's not what it's in there, you know, right? I mean, it's like, like on, uh, down Periscope, right? He says, what's the matter with this, sir? It, 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 still, it still tastes like cream corn. He goes, yeah, but it's deviled ham, right? Okay, so, you, it, so the thing is, you, you don't like it if things are mislabeled because you're looking for that to be what you, it says it is. Right. And unless it's glass, you won't know. And so they could have been, but they, 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 they thought it was hilarious. They laughed every time they opened a can. They, and they made a game out of it. You know? They said, what are we having for dinner tonight? Depends on what the guy's put in the can. <laughs> right? right? But see, we, we, we label things that are self something else, usually somebody else. Right? We, we label it, and just because there's a different label on it doesn't make it so. Right? Just because it says it's chunky chicken soup doesn't mean it's not asparagus. 
Because it was. Right? The label doesn't mean a lot. You can take labels off. You can change them at will. And we're good at that, friends. We're real good at that. The fact of the matter is, the labels didn't represent the true contents of the cans anymore. And that's, we're doing that in life. It's always somebody else or the situation that's the problem. And therefore, you know, here's what we'll say. But so I'm not responsible. And God's like, what? The devil's like, yeah, you're not responsible. And God's like, what? You're responsible. The devil's like, yeah. Now who are you going to listen to? Remember this guy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And here's the truth. And God says, but I'm God. And when you get to heaven or you get you're going to be responsible. You can listen to the guy down here that's telling you you're not when the guy who's in command of the universe says you are. We're doing it. We're 100% doing it. So label it anything you want, but in the end, you're going to be accountable to it. Okay. What are we responsible for? Not serving. Either what we don't want to do because of the situation we find ourselves in, we, we fail God because, well, Satan has a plan. And his weapons are stronger and more effective than our defenses and our will against his attacks. He's got an agenda. We typically don't. We typically are not prepared. We're, we don't have a plan. And that's why we lose. Okay? Friends, we need encouragement. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. I, 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 want, I want to ask you a question here. How many of you here are always giving yourselves fully to the work of God? I'll bet you not one, including me. I'll bet you we, none of us could say it. We can label it any way we want. Right? But see, God's the one that's going to determine if you are or not. And some days I do. Some days I really have. Some days I walk, I'll go home and say, Why, baby, I was, I was a pastor today. Big time. That's all I did. But I found I'm a pastor no matter what I'm doing. If I'm, if I'm working on one of your computers, and I do that a lot, I'm still being your pastor. Because it gives me interaction with you. Right. And God always helps me bring something up or you bring something up that we can talk about. It's happened so many times I can't count. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. Okay? God, God will use you. But you have to know whether you're plugged in or not that day. You have to know whether you are or not. Are you always fully part of the work of the Lord because you know that your labor according to uh, to Paul is not in vain when you work see we question the motive and why of the work let's face it not everything you do as a Christian you're going to like doing you're not going to like who you report to you're not going to like what you're asked to do you're not going to like the way it's done and you might not even understand why it's being done that way can't tell you how many times people come to me and say well I just feel like I'm called away from this why? Because you didn't like the way I told you to do it. Or why the board said to do it. And you know why you don't? Because you don't understand the bigger picture. You don't know what's really going on. But you think you do. So you're going to make a decision without even asking. That happens in churches all the time. That's why people leave them. That's why people go somewhere else. Because it's going to be better across the street, you know. Always is. Until it isn't. See, the, the thing is, if you won't submit to authority, you won't submit to authority. It doesn't matter which church it's in. You're not going to do it. So, friends, this is what the Bible's trying to tell us. So when is the last time you truly gave yourself fully to the work of the Lord, honestly, and didn't worry about how or why it was being done? Just serve. Just serve. Does it matter the contents? No. If it's building the kingdom, trust the people that have been appointed over you. They probably know a little bit more. You see, that's the only time you're going to gain victory, which gives you encouragement for the next time, Savvy. You've got to move quickly. Third weapon, stirred up emotions. Did you know that your emotions are dynamite? They're a powder keg, friends. It doesn't take a whole lot to set them off, neither. <laughs> Right? And let's face it, they can do a lot of serious damage. Heck, let's be real, they have caused a lot of damage. Your emotions did that. Your emotions alone did it. You know it, too. You, again, here's that label. Here's that label. We got them ready. 
And we want, here, we, we've gotten so good, we don't even want to take the labels that are already made. We want to write our own labels now. And put those around us. Oh, we're good at that. You know how I know it? I've done it. I've done it. It's so easy to write your own label. And you can clothe yourself with whatever you want. Usually, we put right on it. Anybody done that? Anybody put right on the label and wrapped yourself in it and said, I'm right. I'm right. We're good. <laughs> emotion is one of the biggest problems we have in the church, friends. I'm not saying get rid of emotion. But let God control your emotion. Amen. Let God use your emotion. Godly emotion is good. Human emotion is bad. Huh? Human emotion will get you in trouble every single time. And you won't even know it. You'll be certain you are right. Huh? Come on, be honest. See, those of you who will be honest with yourself, you'll get it. And those of you who don't want to, you won't. It's real simple. <laughs> Did you know that even though it's the biggest problem in the church, it's the biggest reason we go to church? Emotion is the biggest reason we go to a church, and it's the biggest reason we stay at a church. We stay based on our emotion, how we feel. We go and stay based on how we feel at a church. Now, come on. Tell me we don't. It's all about the emotion. And that's dangerous because it's, it's, it's a horrible gauge for reality. But that's what we do. Now, we get to this point where we just got to feed our emotion. We just got to feed our emotion. I can't feel good at church unless I'm feeling something. I got to feel. That's what makes me happy. Until your emotion runs out, and then what? Then reality sets in. You see, it rules us, even though it's incredibly dangerous. And what do you think Satan does at that point? He concentrates, friends, on your Achilles heel or your injury. When you're hurt and somebody's hurt you, or you don't understand, he's all over it. He's all over it. He always, get this, A-L-W-A-Y-S in capitals. He always, not sometimes, not maybe, he always uses your emotion and your feelings to not only stir up problems, but also for you to justify your thoughts, to justify your beliefs, and to justify your actions. That's what Satan does. God doesn't. God never uses your emotions to do that. He gives you the truth in print right here. That's all you need. That's reality. But Satan uses your emotions, and you deviate from the truth of the word to use your emotions and, you know, and clothe yourself with whatever you want. It's a label you want to use. And you'll justify it based on that, friends. I know it. I know people so well because I are one. Right? Right? And I begin to think about as much as we do this, aren't we grateful that Jesus didn't? Never did it. His emotions would have taken you and I right out of the game. If he gave in to his emotions, we'd have been out of the game. We're done. And Satan would have won. And I'm grateful that he went to the cross and stayed on that cross and didn't let his emotions talk him out of it. To try to defend himself. Say it wasn't fair. This isn't right. He didn't. Weapon number four, conflict and confusion over our issues. <laughs> There's always conflict and confusion over any issue in the church, friends. Now, we're not talking about things outside. I'm talking about things in the church, okay? Did you know that Satan is a master at twisting things? He's a master. at He's been doing it a lot longer than you and me. We're good at it, too. I've known people that were master twisters. Anybody in here know somebody that's a master twister? Are you a master twister? Have you ever been a master twister? Now, come on. We get good at it when we want to twist things. And, and you, when, you, when you learn, and you learn small, when you're little, you learn if you twist things, it might go out, come out your way. If you can just twist things just right, and you want to do it without people knowing you're doing it. But when you twist it just right, and maybe you won't get everything you want, but you'll get part of it if you twist it just right. Where did you learn that from? Did God teach you that? That's a fair question, isn't it? So who taught you that? Well, the master did. The master deceiver did that. 
In the Garden of Eden, he twisted the word of God. He can twist the truth, and he can make it seem like a lie. He can twist a lie and make it seem like the truth. And he never wants you to have all the facts, now does he? You see, Satan has to be recognized as the perpetrator in every single church conflict. Why? Because he is. Because he is. Yes, others are involved, but Satan has used them to accomplish his goal. And again, we all know what that goal is. Okay. Secondly. Here are some defenses for Satan's weapons. Number one, be alert and watchful. Be alert and watchful. You have to be aware of what's happening. Jesus tells us it's going to happen. He tells us not to be surprised. So lately, with every good thing that happens and every victory I see, I'm watching for the first sign of trouble. You know why? Because I know it's coming. Satan never allows you to feel safe and secure for very long. Indeed, safety and security doesn't come from him anyway, now does it? Never has. You follow me here, kids? What time we got here? Am I late? Too bad. You have to be trained. You have to remember to speak spiritually, not carnally, because we're awful good at speaking carnally. And therein lies our biggest problem. We always seem to want to fix problems or deal with things from a human point of view versus a spiritual point of view. Have you ever noticed that? I have news for you. Every single one of us is tempted to do it, and most of us have fallen victim to it. Defense number two, put up some resistance. I remember talking to a friend right after he had a fight, and, uh, and uh, another friend said, maybe if you had fought back, it wouldn't have been beaten so bad. Right? Did God tell you not to fight? No. No, he didn't. But the devil has taught the church that you're supposed to be meek and mild and never fight. Come on. Not against each other and not against Satan. The fact of the matter is that's false. It is false truth. Especially if what is being done is wrong. Okay? Right. You have responsibility to stand and fight. God says so. Again, the church is what? Militant. Get used to it. You have to commit your tongue to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Thumper's mother reminded him that his father had taught them time and again, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. It's a shame we have to take advice from a fic fictional bunny in a children's story to get that figured out. Because the word of God is right before us, and it will tell us that and more. If something wouldn't be said by Christ, then we ought not say it. Amen? You can't let yourself become discouraged neither. Don't worry about things unless they actually happen. Don't fret about things you can't change and be thankful that it isn't your responsibility anyway. Okay? You see, friends, I think it's highly possible we want to study the book of Revelation simply because we want to know what's going to happen and when. But what we should be more concerned with is why it's going to happen in the first place and be content with knowing that it's just going to. Okay? Because that's going to change our perspective, going to give us a greater opportunity to operate in building God's kingdom for the right reasons because it changes our resolve and our perspective when we do it. Stop worrying about what's going to happen and why. Know that it is. You need to treat your emotions with respect. The old saying, when angry, count to ten. Remember to make sure and keep the dynamite diffused, the gun unloaded. You get the idea. You know where your ammunition is. You know what you want to use. There's a reason why you shouldn't necessarily just go and take care of business when you're angry. Because I'll tell you something, no good's going to come of it. I promise you it won't. And beyond that, <laughs> you'll likely do, you do everything from a human perspective, out of emotion, for selfish reasons. And God won't be part of it. Because you're going to see the situation from a completely self-centered, self-protected, and self-promoting perspective. You always will. Rather than the bigger picture as God does. Because God sees things from both sides all people, in the grand scheme of things as it works in, inside of his kingdom. You see, God sees the whole puzzle while all you and I see are the piece or area we're working on. That's how it operates. Fourthly, you have to deal with confusion and conflict reasonably. Be sure you have all the facts, and often we don't. In fact, we almost never do. World War II intelligence officer uh, uh, Captain Edwin Layton was the U.S. Navy intelligence officer at Pearl Harbor. And we're discussing what the next target of the Japanese Navy was. They hadn't broken the naval code. Okay? They'd broken one of the codes, but not the naval code. And so they couldn't understand what the Japanese Navy was going to do. And so Chester Nimitz said, you need to find out what they're going to do. And he said, well, you know, Admiral, 
I understand that my job is to read the Japanese code and guess what they're going to do. Making decisions on er imperfect and incomplete information is your job. And Navarro Nimitz looked at him and said, then break the gosh darn code, Captain, so I can do that. You see, we're, we're, we're too busy in the wrong things. We're too busy in the wrong things. Okay? Sadly, we oftentimes don't want the facts because then we wouldn't be able to justify our feelings, our thoughts, and our position, would we? And what do you think the devil wants? What do you think God wants? Fair question. We have to be aware of other sources of the conflict. There is often many sides to a problem, yet you and I both know we'll usually just want to see the side that suits us. Okay? How many truths are you getting today? You know what else we should just do? Here, here, here's a simple one. Just love one another. Because we sure don't act like it sometimes. We're so busy getting what we want. We don't love anybody but us. Anybody, everybody notice that? 1 John 3.23, this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and simply love one another as he commanded us. Remember, this is the greatest commandment. Jesus himself said so in Matthew 22. They said, teacher, what's the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's what Jesus said. But friends, it's more than that. It goes deeper. Let me tell you why. In John 15, 13, in the New Revised Standard, no one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. The Greek phrase that's used here is translated, friends, in the passage is philoi stinpisti. Philoi stinpisti. And it actually means friends in the faith, not just friends. Friends in the faith. That means other believers. Because anybody that's in the faith is your friend even if you don't like them. You understand that? Jesus sees us all as friends because we have to be. And you have to lay down your life for everybody in the faith, whether you like them or not. Because that's what he did. Wow. What Christ is saying is that we show love to other believers by putting them and their lives and their desires and their needs before our own. And I think that Donna put that so beautifully yesterday in Renee's wedding. That's the only way a marriage works. It's the only way a marriage works. If you put the other above yourself, you know why marriages fail? Irreconcilable differences. There are no such thing. Except, of course, you want to label it that way, irreconcilable, and put it on. Huh? That's, that's, that's how it's operating in a marriage. That's how it operates in the church. And there's no greater covenant than that. And friends, if you wouldn't break the marriage covenant with your spouse, you ought not break it with God neither. Huh? Now, come on. Okay. So check this out. When you put yourself before <laughs> any other Christian, for any reason, in anything, you are proving to Christ that you actually love yourself more than them. And I wonder, church, how often we actually prove that, again, to the glee of Satan. And as our worship team comes, friends, yeah, I'm really done. That only took five more minutes, and I needed about another half hour. But here's the thing, okay? Listen carefully. Is there any doubt among any of you that we are a church at war? Does anybody here doubt we're at war? We've always been at war. In fact, the Bible tells us about it more than 41 times in Scripture that we are in a battle against Satan, and you're in it. And I'm going to leave us today with a few scriptures that ought to constantly be used. Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Because he has them, you know. Yes, there's going to be constant battles, but guess what? We win! Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, God has never left us out on our own. He is right there in the thick of it, and sometimes he even fights for us. I know it, he's done it for me. Either way, the victory is always yours. Hear the words of Jesus Christ, John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart and take courage. I have overcome the world. And if we will stand with Christ, my friends, the greatest promise ever given, Revelation 3, 21, he who overcomes, 
I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. My friends, when we stand with Christ against the devil, remember last week? Say it with me. He gone. You stand with Christ. He gone. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.